In a moment, we'll have uh, a special song, but I do want to ask you to do this uh, before they come out to sing. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. And uh, if you are able, I would like you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word today. After I read the Bible and pray, then uh, you'll be seated. For a few weeks after I broke my hip, I did not preach at all, and then I started preaching, but uh, for several weeks, I had to sit down and preach. And uh, I told the people one time when I was preaching out at uh, Lancaster, California, you know, Jesus, and uh, we're going to preach from that passage this morning. Uh, in chapter 5 of Matthew, it said, and when he had gone up into the mountain, and he sat down, and then he taught his disciples. So evidently, Jesus sat down, and all the people stood up. <laughs> so I said, don't just stand for the reading of God's word. You stand all during the message today, okay? Now, they didn't do it, okay? <laughs> but uh, in, in the passage I'm going to read today, it's a portion of what we call the uh, Sermon on the Mount simply because he was up on a mountain preaching. He went up into a mountain. He sat down. And when his disciples came to him, he said unto them. So in reality, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Now, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are a disciple. And uh, he is teaching you. Now, uh, Jesus was God, but he was a man. The Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By the way, not a God, but God. Okay? Uh, he's always been God. But the 14th verse of that chapter says, and the Word was made flesh. God took upon himself the form of a man. And when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem's manger, that was God in the flesh. He was the God-man. He was not part God and part man. He was as much man as if he had not been God. But he was as much God as if he had not been man. He was the God-man. Now, Jesus, being God, knew everything. And he knew that uh, he was going to be scourged. He knew he was going to be crucified. Uh, he knew they were going to bury him in a tomb. And he knew that he was going to be resurrected from the grave. And he knew that after his resurrection, he was going to meet with his disciples. Now, think again. We're his disciples today, okay? So he's speaking to us as much as he was to them. And he was going to say to them after his resurrection, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. And you shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. He knew he was going to command his disciples to evangelize the world. 
And he knew that when he gave that great commission to them, they were going to think, wait a minute. If I get in all involved, if I get totally involved in this matter of world evangelization, of giving and praying and going, so everybody can, if I get all involved in that, how am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? What am I going to wear? All those things and so forth. And so in the portion I'm going to read this morning, Jesus is teaching them how to settle that thing. So look at your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Then the very insightful thought, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you that uh, in his kindness that Brother Mason has asked me to come and preach here at Timberline Baptist Church, and I do not take this for granted. Lord, I thank you for these wonderful people. And I'd sure like to be a blessing to them this morning, but I know that the only way that I could be a blessing to them would be that you would bless me. So, Lord, as best I know how, I commit myself to you. I, I pray that you'll anoint my mind that I could think right, my tongue that I could speak right, my heart that I would be right. And I pray, dear Lord, you'll anoint the hearts and the ears of your people this morning. Help us as we think about this matter of investing in eternity. I pray you'll speak to each of our hearts. Probably in a congregation this size, there would be somebody that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray this would be the good hour that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the most important thing in all the world. I pray you'll continue to bless your church here in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19 and reading down through verse 34, and uh, we have not read that, but we're going to look at various verses in that. Uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to think about monetary, materialistic things, okay? And uh, he has commanded them, he's going to command them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. By the way, that was not a suggestion, that was not a request. It was a mandate, it was a command. In other words, Jesus wants everybody in the world to hear the gospel. God is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The only way anybody can ever get saved is they have to hear the word of God. They have to hear about Jesus. And he knows he's going to command his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're his disciples in this generation. 
And by the way, it is just as important that you get totally involved in world evangelization as it was those early disciples. Aren't you glad they didn't fail? What if we fail in our generation? So in chapter 6, beginning with verse 19 and reading down through verse 34, Jesus gives them three things that he wants them to think about. In other words, he wants them to evangelize the world. He wants them to get all involved in praying and giving and going and so forth. And so he, he gives them three things to think about. Uh, number one, uh, he, he wants them to think about their position. Look at verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than ramen? Now look what he said in verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air. Hey, by the way, don't ever make fun of bird watchers, okay? Now Jesus said, do it. Look, look at the birds. Look, look at the birds. Uh, they sow not, neither do they reap. Now they gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Have you ever seen a bird worrying? I mean, you, you watch them sometimes. Snow and ice. And a bird comes and lights on a limb of a tree or on a wire and just sits up there and sings and sings and sings. And what you'd like to say to him is, hey, you dummy. There ain't no way you can get a worm out from under all this ice and snow and so forth. You better start worrying like the rest of us. But somehow, we've never been able to get into that bird's brain and teach him how to worry. Now, many of us have a bird brain, okay? But we've not gotten into his mind and taught him to worry. And Jesus, it says, hey, wait a minute. Look, look, he doesn't worry. They don't sow. They don't reap. And yet, your heavenly father, look at that term. Your heavenly father. He wants them to know their position. What a wonderful position we have. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are the sons of God now. For we are all the sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God is not a Bible doctrine. Everybody is not a child of God. Everybody is a creation of God, but everybody is not a child of God. The only way we become a child of God is to be born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. In other words, in other order to be a born-again child of God, this is what we have to do. I, I, I love this verse. By the way, uh, you may be here today and you say, well, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. You're saying to me I'm not a child of God. I'm not saying it to you. That's what the Bible says. In other words, before we, I got saved, I was not a child of God. But the minute I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I became a child of God. How does that happen? 
Listen to Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Guess what? That's what every one of us deserves. Wages, that's what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. And every once in a while I hear some dummy make this statement. All I want is what I deserve. And every time I hear that, I say, no, you don't either. If you got what you deserve, you'd die and spend eternity in hell, separated from God. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. But there's a wonderful conjunction in that sentence. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now think about that. God wants to give you something. He don't want you to work for it. He don't want you to pay for it. He wants you to accept it. He wants to give you something. John chapter 1. Speaking of Jesus, he came into his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, accepted him as their Lord and Savior, trusted him as their Lord and Savior, committed their soul to him. As many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. Wow. Jesus is saying, all you have to do is find out what God wants you to do and do it. Find out where God wants you to go and go there. Find out what God wants you to give and give it. All you have to do is get the mind of God on that. And then you can do it because your heavenly father will take care of you. You have a heavenly father. I was born May the 30th, 1933, the first time. And I was born into abject poverty. I mean, we had practically nothing. I mentioned yesterday morning, uh, no electricity. We had to watch television in the dark, okay? No, no telephones, no automobiles, no wall-to-wall -wall carpet. We didn't even have wall-to-wall -wall flooring. I could look down in the cracks in our floor, see the ground. I was born into great poverty, abject poverty. The third Saturday night in October 1949, when I was 16 years old, I went to church and trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that night, I was born into great wealth. I have a heavenly Father. And my Bible says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. By the way, it doesn't just say that one time. Time after time after time. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, our Heavenly Father will take care of us. Could I urge you teenagers? Could I urge you young people? Could I urge you young married couples? Could I urge you middle-aged people, old people? Doesn't matter who you are. You have a Heavenly Father. Uh, look, look, look over in verse 37. Notice again. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles, Gentiles, people that don't know God, okay? For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Isn't that a wonderful thing? All I have to do is find out what God wants me to do, and then do it, because I can know my heavenly Father knows what I need, and he not only knows what I need, but he's able to provide what I need. 
Now, I may know what you need, but that wouldn't help you much, amen? But he knows what you need, and he will provide for you. We only have two children. I often tell people, Virginia and I were not really scriptural. The Bible says multiply and replenish the earth, and all we did was replace ourselves, okay? But uh, I have some friends that have helped me keep the average up. I have one friend that has 12 children, so together we have 14, okay? <laughs> I, I remember when my son, and, and my daughter was, is older, eight years older than my son. But I remember when my son was in the fourth and fifth grade. He, he was one of the shortest kids in the class. Then about the fourth grade, he started growing like a weed. And, uh, I mean, you would buy him shoes, and he, they'd be too little for him in no time. You'd buy trousers, they'd be too short. And by the time he was in the seventh grade, he ate like a horse. You couldn't, you couldn't fill him up, you know. And I, and I never one time caught Tim worrying. I mean, you know, uh, I never saw him moping around and say, my, my shoes are getting too small for me again, my trousers are too short. I, I need some food. I wonder if I'll ever get any more food. I wonder if I'll get any more trousers. I wonder if I'll ever get any more shoes. I never heard saw him worrying like that. And, and you could have asked him, hey, Tim, don't you know food's expensive? Don't you know clothes are expensive? And you know what Tim would have said? That's not my problem. That's my dad's problem. And guess what? As best I could, I took care of Tim. He wrote me, a, gave me a Father's Day card one day, or one time, and he said, to my dear dad, who would give me his last dollar, from your son, who would take it, okay? <laughs> hey, hey, by the way, one time Tim had three children in college at the same time. That was his problem, amen? I mean, what goes around comes around. But you think about it. All I have to do is just get the mind of God. Find out what God wants me to do, where he wants me to be, what he wants me to do. And then go ahead and do it. Because I can be sure that God, my Father, will take care of me. So Jesus said, I want you to realize your position. Then back in verses 19, 20, he says, I want you to get your priorities right. I want you to get your priorities right. So what he said, negatively. Lay up, not for yourself, treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Listen to it. Jesus said, wait a minute now, get your priorities right. Don't get too heavily invested in earthly, materialistic things. Huh? Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust grow, where thieves break through and steal. Could I suggest this morning? Anything I call my own and anything you call your own, my house, my car, my clothes, my bank account, my retirement, it doesn't matter what it is. Anything that I have, anything bad can happen to it, okay? Uh, you buy new clothes, and they begin to shrink. Maybe not, but they get too little anyway, okay? They begin to wear out. You buy a new car, it begins to depreciate. Uh, thieves can break through. 
By the way, in our generation, thieves don't have to break through and steal. All they have to do is steal our identity, and they can steal us blind. So anything that I have materialistically speaking, anything bad can happen to it. And one day I'm going to die, or Jesus is going to come, and when either one of those things happen, I will not take one thing with me. Brother Lester Roloff used to say often, did you ever see a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse? And by the way, every time anybody of any wealth at all dies, one of the questions you'll always hear, I wonder how much they left. And by the way, the answer is always the same. They left it all. Somebody as well said, where there's a will, there's a lot of relatives, okay? <laughs> we're not going to take any of this with us. And we're going to live. Maybe you'll be fortunate enough to live 86 years like me. Now, I know you were surprised when he said I was 86 years old. You thought I was 106, okay? <laughs> oh, what if you lived to be 100 years old? That would be very short in comparison to eternity. Lay that up for yourself. Treasures on earth were more. Don't get too heavily invested in earthly, temporal things. It's going to all pass away one day, okay? You're not going to take any of it with you. And you're not going to have it very long. Our life is like a vapor. It's like a tale that's told. It's here and then it's gone. But then he said, but get heavily invested in spiritual eternal things. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moth nor rust can corrupt. And where thieves cannot break through and steal. In First Peter he tells us that we have an inheritance that is undefiled, reserved for us in heaven. When I'm reading my Bible, by the way, when I'm going to church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, when I'm going to church, fellowshipping with God's people, worshiping God, when I give my tithes and offerings, when I witness, when I help people along the way. I am laying up treasures in heaven, and, and they'll be there. Listen to the cliche, and it's a well-known one, but it's a wonderful one. One life to live will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. So he's saying, don't get too heavily invested in earthly temporal things, but get heavily invested in spiritual, eternal things. So Jesus said, hey, you, you got a heavenly father. Just remember that. that. Therefore, go ahead and do whatever God wants you to do. He's saying, uh, now, now get your priorities right. Earthly, temporal things, they're not going to last very long. Get heavily invested in eternal, spiritual and then he gives us a promise. I like promises, amen? By the way, according to Herbert Lockyer, there are 7,487 promises in the Bible. 
7,487. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to preach on all them this morning, okay? And uh, Solomon, in his great prayer of the dedication of the temple, he made this statement. There has not failed one word of all his good promises. <laughs> wow. Every promise God has made in the Bible will be fulfilled literally. Now, some promises are conditional promises. God says, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Some promises are unconditional. For instance, in uh, John chapter 14, he says, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That's an unconditional promise. Now, I don't know when he's coming, but thank God I know he's coming. You say, how do you know it? He said he was. And there's not failed one word of all of his good promises. Now, in the passage we read that we're going to read now, God gives us a conditional promise. Look at it. Verse 32 again. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now there is a conditional promise. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, I'm going to give you a paraphrase of that verse. You say, I don't like paraphrases. I don't necessarily like them either. But this is a Don says paraphrase, okay? Now, I'm not saying it's, in, it, it, it's, in, it's inspired. But I believe in the depth of my heart, this is what Jesus is saying. Look at it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, here's the paraphrase. You take care of God's business. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his right. You take care of God's business, and God will take care of you. Is that a good deal or not? You take care of God's business, and God will take care of you. Several years ago, I was preaching in Prattville, Alabama. And uh, the ladies were having a meeting, so Pastor Parks and I were visiting and we got caught up into a visit that took us well into the afternoon. It was about 1.30 before we got to the steakhouse. And it's one of those steakhouses where you get your tray, your utensils, you give your orders, then you go to the table and so forth. And we were standing at the cash register. Nobody else in line. A young fellow came through the front door. And he saw me. And as soon as he saw me, he got all excited. He began to say, I know you, I know you, I know who you are. And I thought, why in the world is he getting so excited about knowing who I am? And then he said, you're Sam Walton. <laughs> and uh, I turned around to Brother Roger, and I said, you know, Roger, I can't go anywhere anymore without somebody recognizing me. <laughs> and that young man thought he had met the richest man in the world. And then I told him, I said, son, I'm not Sam Walton. I I'm Don Sisk. I'm a Baptist preacher. And it was like letting air out of a balloon, okay? <laughs> he thought he'd met the richest man in the world, and he just met another Baptist preacher. In Alabama, they're a dime a dozen, okay? 
I read two biographies of Sam Walton. Uh, Virginia and I were going to Arkansas one time for a meeting, not too far from Bentonville, where Sam Walton lived. And I'd read in his book where every morning when he was in town, he'd go to this little greasy spoon restaurant and eat breakfast. It's just kind of lifestyle he lived. He had a pickup truck. He liked to take his dog hunt and all that stuff and so forth. But he'd go to this little restaurant. And uh, Virginia and I, on the way down there, we were driving. And, and I got to thinking about that incident with Brother Parks and that young man thinking I was Sam Walton. I said, uh, well, wouldn't it be something if, uh, while we were in Arkansas, I could go over to Bentonville and go to that restaurant that Sam Walton goes to and uh, maybe two or three mornings in a row uh, eat breakfast there, but somebody would introduce me to Sam Walton. And two or three mornings in a row, Sam Walton and I would, would uh, eat breakfast together and uh, we'd talk about hunting or whatever he wanted to talk about and on and on and on, you know. And then one day we'd be eating breakfast and Sam would say to me, he'd say, hey, Don, tell you what let's do. Let's pool our resources. You put all your money in the pool and I'll put all my money in the pool and then after that, Whatever any of us, either of us need, we can just take it out of the pool. Now, would that be a good deal or not? At that time, they say Sam Walton controlled $24 billion. Now, on a good day, I could come up with $20, okay? Hey, don't laugh. That's a big pool. $24 billion and $20? And we'd meet together after that, and I'd say to Sam, now, Sam... It's our money, but go ahead and use any amount you want to. It's okay. <laughs> and he'd say, Don, same with you. It's our money, but go ahead and use any amount that you want to. Would that be a great deal or not? But let me tell you something. Every born-again child of God has a better deal than that. It's not Sam Walton that controlled $24 billion, who incidentally this morning is dead and does not control one penny. But it's the sovereign God of the universe that says to us, hey, Don, Bill, Tom, whatever your name is, you take care of my business. 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 And I'll take care of you. And I'm glad as a young man that I realized that it was not my job to take care of Don's sister. But it was my job to take care of my father's business. And I'll tell you what, I can testify. He's good at keeping his promises. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Just a few minutes, the pastor will come and Every member of this church is going to be asked to make a commitment to give something to world evangelization. By the way, that is God's business. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. When I am seeking God's kingdom first, when I am putting his business first, not mine, but his, then I can be sure that he will take care of me. Listen to it again. Lay not up yourself, treasures on earth, where moth and rust are corrupt, thieves break through and steal. 
but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And then Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Show me your bank book. Show me your budget. And I'll tell you where your heart is. Greatest business in the world is getting the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth. Would to God that we would give and pray and go in such a way that nobody could ask the question like the man in the Republic of Congo asked, who is Jesus? Let's pray together. Pastor.